Hey, everyone. I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is Season 2 of 2019, Episode 148. I wonder if now I should stop saying the episode numbers, which is something that Jason has wanted me to do for a long time. For some reason, the episode numbers just ground me. <laughs> so, But I suppose I get to say them silently to myself. Anyway, welcome back. It's nice to be back. The little hiatus I took flew by. I hope it did for you too. Today, I'm going to be talking to Jason, and we are going to be talking about change, specifically managing the fact that most of us change in our yoga interests slash yoga teaching as time goes by. And so how do we manage that process internally and what that was like for Jason when he went through some big seminal changes early on in his teaching? In the next episode, we will talk about how to implement that change in your teaching and in your classes. But today, it's really more about the internal process. I want to just take a moment to acknowledge that the last episode of last season was difficult for some people. That hasn't really happened to us before. And quite honestly, it wasn't something we were anticipating. It wasn't our intention to be derogatory toward any form of yoga or anyone's practice, we were simply trying to offer information to think about as you practice yin and just creating a balanced practice. And I know that many of you already do have a very balanced practice and I acknowledge that. And again, we were just trying to provide information for those who are less aware and also just to think about the effects of of static stretching on the body and mitigate some of the potentially problematic effects. I don't know. I feel like I'm going to get myself into trouble again. But I also want to acknowledge that we don't all have to agree on everything all the time. And it was there's no intention on our part to make any personal attack. There were some comments that people were upset that Jason was the one to talk about it. And you know, we did that because people had have asked for a long time because he always talks about how he started to incorporate more strength training, especially on, along the posterior chain of the body in vinyasa classes. But we hear you and we are going to have Bernie Clark on the show. He is so many people's beloved teacher, clearly, because we just heard so much about him. And I am excited to talk to him about the benefits of yin practice soon couple weeks. Last quick thing, I am starting my three-week meditation and self-care course next Monday, May 13th, the day after Mother's Day. To me, that is perfect timing. (laughs) It's a perfect time for me to go back, self-reflect on what self-care means to me, and kind of make the promises to myself again, incorporate them into my life, and send you all of these this information as well. The course includes three audio meditations per week, just 10 to 15 minutes each, and then one short audio meditation and breath practice per week. There's also three video podcasts that Jason and I did exclusively for the program, and then a self-inquiry journal that gives you exercises you can do after each meditation to kind of bring the meditation to life into your day, and a self-care workbook and a private Facebook group a lot of stuff. I just wanted you to know sort of the shape and the arc of the course. I did this course originally in January. So it's it's really a rerun with a couple of little tweaks. 
this time around. And I'm inviting that group to do it again as well. So they'll be in the Facebook group. And last time I did an Ask Me Anything Facebook Live, and I'll do something like that again. So I'm excited for it. If you are interested in more info or if you want to sign up, you can go to bit.ly bit.ly slash you can sit with us 19. So it's bit.ly slash you can sit with us 19. No spaces. Whew, that was one of the longer intros I've ever done. I hope you enjoy this episode and I'm happy to be back. Hello, Jason. Hi, Andrea. I was going to say, how's it going? But it just feels a little disingenuous because I know how it's going. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> My elbow hurts. I'm lacking motivation. But you've got a really cute dog right next to yeah. you licking her paws. Yeah. So yeah, this would officially be the first podcast that Ginger Crandall is a part of. <laughs> yeah. And I think she's going to have some really intelligent things to contribute. Yeah. What do you think, Ginge? Yeah. I think I'm really officially as annoying as... I usually am, which is like, I'm usually a parent who's always talking about my child. And now I'm talking about my dog, my dog, which is even probably even more endlessly. No, I think it's, I think it's a little less. I don't know why, but maybe it's most everybody loves dogs. Not (laughs) not most everybody loves children, you know, know. which is, I I get it. I totally get it. Yeah, me too. That's neither here nor there. It isn't. We are back with season two. And today we're going to talk, I'm going to talk to you about how to manage the fact that we change, yeah. our bodies change, our f- interests change. When you say our bodies change, do you mean that I have gotten back to be like an 18-year-old again? In my physique. And and in your mental state. <laughs> yeah, that's childlike. <laughs> and how to manage that, potentially implement that into your teaching. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot because I've gone through a lot of different phases as a teacher. And I'll say this, which is I have changed more as a student than I have as a teacher over the years. I've definitely changed as a teacher, but I am more consistent in my teaching. How do I say this? I'm a very consistent student. I'm a very consistent teacher. But the look and the feel the tone and the contour of my class has changed less erratically and less frequently than the way that I have practiced over the years, right? So both have changed, of course. And the more I spend time with this question, the more I think that as a teacher, if you don't want to change your approach to practice or teaching, you really have to work hard not to change. Like the reality is that over the years, especially over the decades, the way that we do our practice and the value that we experience in our practice and the values with which we practice, they're going to change because everything does that as a function of time and experience, right? And so we're left with a couple things, which is how to deal with that internally, because I think that I'll just speak for me is that I used to teach Ashtanga yoga. I used to practice Ashtanga yoga, but as a practitioner, that, that discipline no longer worked for me. It just wasn't, it was no longer a fit for, for my personality or my body type or my interests, but that was my livelihood. 
So there becomes this big challenge where when we when we need or want to in our own personal practice make a shift and yet we're not quite ready as a teacher to make that same shift. I think this is like such a common issue for people in every job slash career. Typically, you know, we don't, most people don't just go into one job and stay there for their whole lives anymore. Right. I think the average is like seven different career changes in your lifetime. Right. So how do you evolve? I think what you're bringing up is as your interests shift and even as your knowledge shifts, but you're not quite ready to debut it publicly. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that as a separate specific conversation in another follow-up episode, which is really how do we, like, I, I think even just in specific, the way I teach Anjaneyasana now is radically different than the way I used to teach Anjaneyasana. Mm-hmm. So how do we go about that? You know, when we have a sea change, even if it's just a technique, mm-hmm. You know, like, or another example is I used to tell people not to engage their glutes in most backbends. Hmm, I didn't know that. Yeah, we all did. We all (laughs) did of a certain generation, right? Yeah. Now I can step back and say most people in most backbends get a fair amount of benefit from a moderate degree of gluteal engagement, right? Right. But so, so we'll have a conversation about this, right? But now we're really looking through the lens of just the internal process of what we go through when we evolve as a practitioner, as a teacher. And one of the first things I want to address is just the identity crisis of it, you know, because most people get a fair amount of identity association from their yoga practice and from their yoga teaching. I don't mean that most people are like egotistical maniacs, right? I mean that we put a lot of time and care and investment into our practice and into our teaching. It can be very difficult identity-wise when we start to consider otherwise or when we start to make certain changes. So just going back to that period, which is there's a lot of people that one style of yoga just works for them forever. Mm. But for most people, that's not the case. Uh-huh. You know, for most people, it just it just isn't the case that their interests move on, their lifestyle moves on, their body changes. And I don't even necessarily mean their body degrades. My body's and it feels better now than it felt a long time ago. But when we make those changes, that can be a very difficult internal process. And I want to acknowledge that. I think the second thing is that Oftentimes when people change or reconsider something, that then makes them question the value of their previous identity. You know, and I and I think that that's something we we need to be able to change and grow and evolve without necessarily throwing what we were under the bus. Or right because you can't really walk up a long ladder by just jumping from the bottom to the top. Like all of those steps along the way were necessary and to kind of step back and say, oh, you know, this was bad. I wish this hadn't been there, I think is is a misunderstanding of how life actually works. Well, it's sort of like, I mean, I would say with something as personal and, you know, quite frankly, as sacred as yoga practices to so many of us, when you experience 
a shift, it can sometimes feel a little disillusioning. Yes. And so what you're saying is it's not like everything you believed before was false. It's just that you've changed. Yes. And that's okay. Yeah, and and that and that you can't really believe what you believe now without believing what you believed then. It's true. It's a growth process. It's a growth process. Yeah. Like you know? any, anything in life And it's is infinite. Like that. It's infinite, right? Yeah. I used to really struggle and I still do with this uh this word master. Right? Like I just really have a problem with the idea of mastering a subject because to me, oftentimes, to me, and, and maybe I'm wrong with my interpretation, right? Maybe I have a limited interpretation, but in my interpretation, that kind of means you got that topic figured out. Yeah, completely. You got that topic figured out. Yeah. So for me to think I'm a master of teaching or a master of yoga or a master of myself or a master of anything is laughably wrong. You know, like, am I a little further down the road than some other people in figuring it out? Yes. Are other people further down the road than me in figuring it out? Yes. Do I think anyone is really a master of anything? I don't know, man. I really, really struggle with that idea. Especially in a a subject where there's no objective and complete testing of right or wrong. Mm -hmm. So here's where, again, I just think... I don't think that we need to try to change. I don't think that we need to try to evolve. I think that that those things are a natural function of doing anything for a long period of time. But when we do change and grow and evolve, number one, it can throw us into an identity mix. Mm-hmm. Crisis may be too strong a word, but maybe not. a little shaky beneath your feet. Totally. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then secondly, again, it it becomes difficult for us to not be a prisoner of the moment and vilify the thing that we're swapping out. Got it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I will acknowledge I have a really difficult time with this. I feel like hopefully I come across as rational and sane and reasonable, but I'm incredibly emotional in my feeling about things. So I can be very, like I joke about this all the time in my trainings, but it's also true that I can be a really difficult person in that I have very strong feelings, but my feelings change. Hmm. You know, I feel really strongly about A, B, and C, but then I change my mind about A, B, and C and feel really strongly about this way of A, B, C. So that's something internally that I try to continue to grow and evolve my way of thinking and processing without without being too much a prisoner of kind of the new belief system and not too much of a detractor mm-hmm. of an old belief system. Mm-hmm. That with my personality, that can be difficult for me. I want to shift the word that you're using sure. from emotional to passionate. Yeah. There when you're passionate about something, you're really passionate about something. But I will say, as from the perspective of someone being in a relationship with you, sometimes your level of passion about minutia like drives me insane. Of course. I'll give you an example. Oh, thanks. Yesterday. I was looking forward to this. <laughs> Yesterday. So everyone, this is this is No, it's not. No, no, no. Hey, hot topic breaking news. <laughs> Yesterday when Sophia and I when I said to Sophia, Ginger kind of stinks. Let's go get the dry shampoo and oh, do man, a quick dry shampoo. And you were like, Well, why don't you just what you got into this whole thing? And it's like, dude, just step back. 
I just want to put a little bit of mousse on my dog and make her smell better. Okay. And I looked at you like, I looked at you with like, my reaction was like 10 times what it should have been because your reaction to minutia is insane making sometimes. But on the, uh, on the flip side of things, I think the upside to you being a person who changes your perspective is that you change your perspective. Like if I, if we're having a conversation about something serious yeah. and you're really passionate and I point something out to you, you actually really listen. Yeah, I do. You're not just like- I did not used to. That oh, is a way that well, yoga has that really I changed I found me. you now. Yeah, Because yeah, yeah, you're like for sure. super flexible about really important things, yes. which is in a relationship like vital. So two things. Number one- can I just defend myself about oh the pet my shampoo? Oh, God. I knew you were trying to. I knew Here's it. Here's the only reason. Only because I want you to understand. We're, this is like therapy for us, you guys, right now. Okay. okay go ahead. Mm-hmm. Which is, I'm not quite sure why you would put perfume on something that stinks as opposed to wash the thing that stinks. It's a dry shampoo. That You actually towel actually... it all off. I didn't know that. Okay. Well, we toweled it off. I didn't know that. Okay. Okay. There you go. But more importantly than that, which is I don't really feel like two decades of yoga has helped me with my daily pet peeves. It has helped me with the big things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I'm still as kind of like quick to annoyance like if someone cuts me off, I I want them in a bad situation. You know what I mean? Like, like in the car? driving, driving, oh, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. Or or like if something is late. Like I'm I still terrible in the car. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think most people are. But the point is, is like my yoga practice hasn't changed my personality. It doesn't do that. Mm-mm. But it has given me much greater perspective to witness how I'm reacting. Mm-hmm. So if there's something that is substantial enough that garners, you know, real consideration, mm-hmm. my yoga practice has helped me in, in enormously. Not be as defended. No. Yeah. So I, I will still be kind of like quick to defend or or quick to react. But if it's something that is a bigger conversation, I will step back and listen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think this is this sort of feeds back into the original conversation, which is I ultimately want to continue to do things that I think are best, not things that I have identified as correct, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm very open to knowing that there's probably always a slightly more improved way to doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And so I want to make sure that I don't, that I don't, So you want to be fighting the good fight, not fighting just to be right. Yeah. And this is sort of, we're going to have another conversation in this season about systems and the fact that, you know, I've really been evolving a system of yoga, but I'm really opposed to evolving a system of yoga and having a system of yoga. Right. You feel both ways. I feel both ways, Mm -hmm. you know, because I don't want to get into a situation where my, my, Conscious or unconscious motivation is to perpetuate what I believe to be true as opposed to what is actually true. I don't want to be in service of the system. I don't want to be in service of the way I've done something because Mm -hmm. I identify with that thing Mm -hmm. as opposed to being willing and able to 
meet the new needs and take in the new information and evolve this and evolve it, mm-hmm. you know? So any, any system that is developed needs to have, it needs to be an open-ended process. And that becomes very difficult, especially once branding becomes put in. Yeah, it becomes, and, you yeah, know, and you beca- know, yeah, because yeah. then the survival of the system, not to get into politics, right? But like the survival of the party starts to become oftentimes more important than the health and the well-being of the truth and the nation. That's when you have a problem. Yeah. yeah. So, but I would say that it's extremely difficult to not fall into that trap. Right. You if, know, I mean, especially if your livelihood depends on it. I yes. think that's where people get really stuck. Yeah. 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 And I think another part is we're in this world now everywhere, but especially in yoga where we have no idea where actual good teaching comes from or where authority comes from. Like there's, I think there's kind of a crisis of leadership and accuracy. What is that? that book quiet you had what was is the author's name susan kane susan kane she writes in that early on about uh i'll i'll butcher it a little bit but about the dale carnegie's book uh, yeah about how when charisma started to become king yeah 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 right Mm -hmm. and so now we have via social media we have the implicit charisma of like a beautiful body doing a beautiful thing right and that starts to imply that there's actual veracity there, that there's correctness there, that there's accuracy there, that there's sustainability there, that there's actual teaching there, not just that so-and-so can do it, but so-and-so can teach it to you, right? So I I think that we're, we're in this very complicated modern world where it's difficult to know what to believe and how to continue to grow and evolve yourself. Can I add something to that? You know, that started and I, I'm i going to just take credit as being part of this, unfortunately. I mean, that started with Yoga Journal. Like that started with the calendars and, mm-hmm. and photographing, you know, the gorgeousness of these teachers who came ab- ahead of you and I and how just lovely and amazing their bodies and their poses were. And, yeah. And then remember the black and white book? I mean, that yes. then the black and white book. and. And thing that's another shade of this that's very interesting is I'm reading Matthew Remsky's book right now, and I hope to have him on the podcast. And one of the things that he points out is we're having a hard time discerning. You know, I think for a long time we felt like we could legitimize our practices by referring to quote unquote the tradition. Well, we all know there's no one yeah, tradition. No, not. And then when you really when you really dig into traditions, like just like any system or any group there are flaws, right? Like yes. it's not as pure yeah. and pristine and as informed by the gods as we, we thought it was. Right. So we, we're stu- struggling with that too. Yeah. It's a struggle. There are struggles to the modern and postmodern world. Mm-hmm. I think one thing to, to bring up too, and, and not to vilify it because humans are just incredibly visual. We just are. Right, right, right. You know, so- It's inspiring. It is, mm-hmm. it is. And and we don't want to think one way about it, right? But we are so easily seduced as a species by visual specter. Yeah, I think more so than written, than sort of written specter, mm-hmm. you know? So whether it started with the covers and whether it started with the calendars of Yoga Journal, it has blown up in the visual world of Instagram mm-hmm. 
And again, that it, it, it is just clear that, and again, not vilifying anything, but it's just clear that we need to be very mindful that we are strongly biologically primed to be wowed by visual striking things. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I want to address too is just that as we continue to grow and as we continue and and evolve and change, one of the things that I think is most important is that as a community, we're talking to other communities. So what I've integrated for a long period of time- So do you mean like as yoga continues to grow or as we personally- I think we can only account for us personally. Okay, yeah. Yeah, you know, like if we believe yoga to be what yoga is, it's timeless and beyond change. Mm -hmm. But the techniques are not, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? I I still fall into this trap sometimes of being like, yoga is blah, blah, blah. And that's so annoying. Like I get so annoyed with myself because (laughs) I can't speak for yoga. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't change yoga. All I can do is speak for my own relationship to it and how I advocate for other people to have a relationship with it. For me personally, it's so weird, right? Like as a kid, even though I grew up in the suburbs, like I grew up a white middle-class kid in white middle-class suburbs. You're a white kid? I didn't know that. It is. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like I grew up I don't mean this badly, but like so stereotypically average in such a stereotypically average place. But I didn't fit in. Internally, I didn't fit in because of my particular interests, uh, which were skateboarding and punk rock and and just kind of very leftist politics and kind of marginalized this and that. Anyway, long story short, I found myself in a philosophy program in college that focus on interdisciplinary studies. And I kind of, the reason I bring this up is I fell into it because in some ways it was the opposite of going to business school, you know? And that's like what I so badly wanted was, was just the opposite of the dominant trend where I grew up, right? So I fell into this program and it's so interesting to think how well it has served me decades later. This is a philosophy program, right? But For me as a teacher, I so strongly believe in interdisciplinary studies. So trying to understand how different disciplines look at subject matter. So for me as a teacher, I don't just want to understand how the various traditions of yoga look at the subject of embodiment and consciousness. I want to look at how other subjects look at embodiment and consciousness, especially embodiment. So for me as a teacher and as a practitioner, I have been not only open to, but genuinely hugely interested in understanding, if you have a high-level Pilates background, I want to understand how you think about core. If you are a doctor of sports medicine, I want to understand how you think about active range of motion versus passive range of motion. 
if you are a physical therapist, I want to know a little bit about how you think about the rotator cuff and how you think the arms should be engaged when they're overhead, right? I feel like I'm also pretty good at synthesizing information into from different schools of thought into an accessible and currently applicable technique, right? I would say as a student, one of the ways I continue to evolve my practices by doing other things, right? And that isn't to say that I think everyone needs to do other things, but, you know, I really love going to the gym. I really love to pull out foam rollers. I like to train in other different things. And ultimately, all of those things inform the technique that I execute when I'm in my yoga practice, Mm -hmm. right? Here's the thing. It's like, I'm not interested in being a trainer, but I'm interested in, in understanding how a trainer works and then seeing, is there technique in that process that can ultimately value how I work as a vinyasa teacher? So the vinyasa teaching is the dominant thread, but all the other things I do, I try to figure out does this give me good perspective to bring into my teaching as a as a flow teacher? Okay. So, I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is at this point in your life and your practice where perhaps when you were were shifting from being um a tradition a more traditional ashtanga teacher to more of a an alignment-based flow teacher, yeah. That was a little unnerving or- Hugely unnerving for years. Okay, right. For years. And at this point, it's not. No. Like learning new things and seeing things differently and looking at them through a different lens doesn't feel threatening to you It doesn't feel threatening. And in so many ways, it feels like it is who I am. We said this on the last podcast, right? Which is, I have a critical nature, you know? And I'm also, again, like, I I hope everyone knows that I'm way more critical of what I do than what anyone else does. Mm-hmm. And when I say critical, I don't mean bad or negative, right? I, I think that for people that struggle with dissonance, being critical seems like it's uh, uh, it's taking away something. For me, being critical to my own process is always adding something. Well, I think there's a difference between the idea of criticism being critical and the idea of criticism being examining something. Yeah. And so I yeah, think we yeah, yeah. attempted to examine something and it came across as critical. Yeah. To some people it did, and we did not intend that. Yeah. And we, you know, yeah. Yeah. That was not our intention. Yeah. And again, to to stay on the current point, which is for me as a teacher, I I don't know how I can continue to serve myself and my students without pretty much constantly re-examining how I'm doing what I'm doing and seeing, is there a slightly better way? And again, that doesn't mean that I I change from day to day or that like I have sleepless neurotic nights about how I'm going to teach triangle pose and whether or not my hamstrings are going to be more relaxed or more engaged, right? But I... I used to feel like if I changed, that meant that I had been bad Mm -hmm. and wrong. Mm -hmm. 
And therefore, I didn't want to change. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I feel super excited about it. Mm-hmm. I feel really inspired about it. I have to admit, like, I haven't taught a public class in years that felt to me uninspired. And and you guys, I spent years teaching what felt to me like uninspired public classes. Hmm. Now, part of that is the fact that I don't teach nearly as many as I used to. Mm -hmm. But a big part of that is I actually really feel like when I'm teaching public classes, I'm really trying to teach something that is very current and I feel really passionate about. So this is also, I mean, this really speaks to a shift in the yoga world. And I see it not just in you, but in other teachers as well. And it is a shift from more of a master, quote unquote, or guru-based model where any changes, like you said, came through the system from the top or somewhere near the top and had to sort of be, even if it was informal or unspoken, still had to be like authorized in some way. Yeah. So hearing you speak like this, what I hear is that you feel really empowered. So what shifted in you to feel grounded and confident and skillful enough to to do that? Time and evidence, time and evidence, right? We want to be very careful that we're not just making stuff up too early. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I feel like a couple things. I have had such profoundly good teachers over the years who have not only given me such good information and such good technique, but such inspiration to- Experiment? Experiment. I think Rodney yeah. was really instrumental Huge. in that for you. I mean, Richard was so, like, when I stepped back, I learned so much technique from both of them. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, like, today, I think I use more technique holdovers that I got from Richard. Mm-hmm. But the way of teaching and the way of examining, of way of processing is Rodney. Yeah, he's so you know, he's And I so haven't taken a class with him. Oh, my God, I haven't taken a class with him in so long. But, like... It, I don't have to. Not that, and not that I, if he was close, I would. But the point is, is like, and just like everyone, you know, he, he wouldn't, his personality would not work for everyone. Mm-hmm. But his personality and his process worked so well for me at, at such an integral time that I took yoga to be an infinite process of trial and error, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and just a very human thing. Right. You know? Well, he was so, and he still is, I'm sure, like so incredibly skillful at what he does. And yet he never completely wholeheartedly became a part of one specific system. And he he was very confident. Yes. He was very confident in himself. And and he was also, he's also just like so highly intelligent. I mean, it's just like he could probably argue anyone into a hole. Like, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. Big, He's formidable, you know what totally I mean? Totally formidable. Yeah, yeah. I think the other thing to me is like the, the access that I've had to students of mine who are leaders in other communities, especially in medical communities. Like I am not a doctor. I do not pretend to be a doctor, but working with orthopedists and working with doctors of sports medicine, I just feel extremely confident that what I am presenting is sound and rational and sustainable, which doesn't mean it's going to work for everyone all the time. Right. It also doesn't mean that it's the only way, right? It does not mean that it's the only way. 
but it does mean that I feel ex- I, I truly believe via time and the experts that I've worked with that that I'm thinking about things the right way. I'll say the other the other thing is the students that have graduated from my programs. There are just some students that have graduated from my programs that are excellent yoga teachers and that are excellent peers. You know, a lot of a lot of the graduates that I have in some ways I start to with some of them I struggle to have a teacher student relationship anymore because they really feel much more like peers. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. feel much more like colleagues. I don't feel internally, I don't feel like their teacher anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel like their friend and their colleague. Mm-hmm. Um, you can still be a mentor without being yeah, a yeah, traditional yeah, yeah, yeah. teacher role. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That I think is is it. I, I'd say the other thing that has made me feel more comfortable with it is I just don't have a choice. Hmm. You know, like I thought that when I moved on from Ashtanga to more of the Iyengar world and then the Iyengar world to more of the vinyasa world and now the vinyasa world to a little bit more informed vinyasa from, I guess, a little bit more of the functional strengthening and and, and sports worlds. Mm-hmm. Again, just in terms of technique, not in terms of sort of the, the other dimensions of the practice, right? At each one of those junctures, I felt like maybe I could avoid it and I could maybe just stick in my lane the lane that I had knew and that I was comfortable in. But over the years, I've realized I can't stick in a lane. That just isn't who I am, you know? And that isn't to, I mean, you know, those changes are, are, are over 20 years, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So I'm not, I'm not changing like the wind, but the point is, is I don't feel uncomfortable with the change because I know that it is unavoidable. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's to embrace it and to and to ride it and to savor it and to uh, and to acknowledge it. That's great. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really helpful. Yeah. So in part, it also sounds like by allowing yourself to experiment in your practice and your body and other practices, and not being fearful about it, you are able to sort of um, process it. Yeah. And be more comfortable with the process of change. Yeah. There's only one more tiny thing because I think we were ready to wrap, which is I feel like any student that is discouraged by their teachers or their systems from engaging and experimenting and working with other teachers and other systems, I feel like that's a very dangerous and problematic belief system. And for me as a teacher, right, I have to own that for me as a teacher, I have plenty of ego. And when I have students, especially long time students, do someone else's training, there's a part of me that is like, oh man, yeah, why? <laughs> but but my training has everything and it's <laughs> the best and so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. This is all your internal process. It's my internal way. process, yeah. right? But I have to step back and say, no, this is good for them. Yeah. And it's good for me because maybe that person will... Um, maybe that person will synthesize information and, and continue to help things grow. And I also have to say that anytime I have an inclination out of my own insecurity to build a wall or try to control someone, that is a real problem of my own. And I can't abide by that. And I can't abide by any teacher or process that 
advocates for that extreme singularity. I, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. And more, more about that in the discussion with Matthew Romsky. Yes, come. for sure. All right. Thanks, Jason. You're welcome. One last thing that I forgot to mention at the top of the show is that podcast listeners can enjoy 20% off my meditation and self-care course by entering the promo code PODBLESS when you check out PODBLESS, which is a catchphrase from my buddy, Corey Cambridge of other people's podcasts. I was just on his podcast and he says it all the time and it's really cute. So I thought I'd use it as a discount code. Thanks, Corey. That's all I got. Until next week, enjoy your practice.